book of Colossians. We're nearing the end of our study of this book, and um, I think it's going to be valuable for us to reflect back on what you've learned. If you've forgotten, you know, it, uh, thinking back, it was a while ago that we started this. So, you know, fortunately, we have everything online, and, and uh, if you want to go back um, on the website, you can easily search by series. And so if you just search the Colossians series, you can go through the whole thing again. And um, I know certainly every time I go through these books, I learn something new. I, I get something different out of it. And that's because God's word is alive, right? God's word is not a textbook. God's not, word is not a, merely a curriculum. God's word is alive and it speaks to you today. So I guarantee, I guarantee this. If your heart is open to hear from God today, tonight, no matter what I say, no matter whether I say it well or I say it terribly, just butcher the whole thing, just you stammer and stutter, whatever. If God's word is preached tonight, God will speak to you through it. So open up your heart, your ears, your eyes. Let God speak to you. And, and, and at the end of this, one person might say, this is what I heard and this is what I believe that the Lord was saying. And another person might get something that seems completely different, but in the harmony of God, they both go together. And it is the Spirit of God that teaches us all things. And so uh, thank God we have the Holy Spirit. And when I say we, I mean all of us gathered as believers have been given his gift of the Holy Spirit. And so let the Holy Spirit speak and let him teach and let him open up your heart. Let him rearrange the furniture, right? Don't be so precious with your emotions and with your schedule and with your life that God can't totally rearrange everything because he should rearrange everything, right? And there's going to be times, and I know in the presence of God that, that there are times where um, I, 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 God reveals to you things in yourself you didn't know were there, things that need to be dealt with. You know, he's a great surgeon. And so if there is a tumor, he cuts it out, right? If there's, if there's a bitterness that you didn't know was there, my goodness, I thought I was over that a long time ago. Where'd that come from? Unforgiveness over here. Anger over here. Depression over here. Stuff you didn't know you were dealing with, God knows. And he doesn't condemn you for it. He heals you. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And yet God is, he is a God who doesn't force his way into your heart. Right. So you have to let him do that. You have to let him do that. There, I don't know a surgeon on earth, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know too many surgeons that are going come, to come to your house and drag you to the hospital and make you have surgery. <laughs> right? Maybe some countries they do that. But, you know, not in Canada. You have to agree to this, Right? You have to agree to this. You have to say, yeah, I want that taken care of. And, and God is more than willing and more than able to sort things out in your life that need sorted out. So let's go to Colossians chapter 4. And I'd like us to read something that we kind of skimmed over last week. But I want us to, to camp there for a minute. Remember, we talked about last week. We kind of we hit the, the end credits of the letter. The thank yous, the... You know, I want to I give a thank you to this person and this person. All the people that helped him get the letter to the church in Colossae, all the people that have helped him while he's been writing it. He's telling his thank yous. He's commending these people. He's saying when they come and visit, treat them well, listen to them, and, and uh, you know, give them a place to stay. But there's some, while we're kind of prone to skip over that stuff because we just think we're at the end, there's some really important stuff here. And, and here's what it says in Colossians chapter 4. 
And I want you to go to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there for a minute and recognize something. Number one, you know, if you've read the same scripture I have, you know that the Bible says that we are no longer slaves, but we are called sons and daughters, right? We have received a, not a spirit of slavery, but we received a spirit that, that, that cries out, Abba, Father, that, that cries out and says, I have, a, I have a Father in heaven that loves me, and I'm his. And yet, every writer of the letters in the New Testament at some point calls himself a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Every single one of them. Paul said it. Peter said it, Jude said it, John said it, James says it. They all say it at some point. So it must be something that's important. Now listen, God doesn't treat you like a slave. He treats you like his son or daughter. God, your status in him is as a child of God. And yet we give our life over and we submit it to him as a bond slave. Now a bond slave, that's different than a word servant. In the Greek, the word servant is the word that we get the word deacon from, diakonos. That's a servant. But this word here is the word thulos. This is a slave. This is somebody that can't back out of the deal. This is somebody that can't give two weeks notice. This is somebody that's in it for life. Now here's the difference. These people volunteered for lifetime duty, just as we do. God didn't, God didn't say, you, ha, I'm a, <laughs> you might think that his conversation with Paul kind of sounded like you have no choice in the matter. But you gave your life to Jesus. And here's what he says. Epaphras is a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's next level. You know, I'm, I'm convinced that people who have given their life and said, you know, God, you have everything. These people can't be intimidated. You can't bribe them. You can't scare them. You can't, you can't chase them out of the will of God. They're sold out. They know whose they are. He says he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He sends you his greetings. And then listen to this. He is always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. For I testify for him that he is a deep concern for you and for all those that are allowed to see in Hierapolis. Now listen to that. This sounds like he's a valuable guy. We talked about it last week how, you know, we need to... Uh, some people that we don't give a lot of credit to or that maybe never take the stage or never have a microphone, but they are doing the work of God in the church and in the, in the, in, in the world, and, and, and we need to hold them in high regard. But I want you to look specifically at what Epaphras is doing. Look what he's doing. He is laboring. Look at that word. He is laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Laboring earnestly for you. Labor doesn't sound like a fun word. And the women give a double amen to that, <laughs> right? Laboring for you in his prayers. That word laboring in the original Greek is a word that we actually get the word agonize from. I didn't make it sound any better, did I? <laughs> but literally what it means is to struggle or to contend for something, to fight for something. And in older Greek literature, it's used to talk about battles and stuff. You're fighting for something, fighting for a cause. But later on, and, and, and you've, this comes up a lot in Paul's letters, it's used in an athletic sense, right? So uh, contending for a prize. You ever looked at an Olympian and just said, I could do that? No, maybe, 
the younger we are, the more we said things like that, right? And the older you get, you go, no, I, I can't do that. Why couldn't you? Well, I, there's, there's some natural talent involved, right? I mean, look at me. I was never going to be a basketball player. That wasn't in the cards for me. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I could train. There was a couple of guys that were short that made it, but chances were that was not my skill set. But any of us could have been a contender in some arena if we were willing to put in the work to get there, right? I mean, what makes an Olympian Olympian? There's some natural biological stuff going on, but there's also a huge chunk of it is that they spend four years, uh, way more than four years, but specifically the four years leading up to the Olympics, these guys are training, they're eating a certain way, they are, they're pushing themselves, they are not living normal lives. Why? And it's over like in, I mean, in the case of a 100-meter sprint, it's over in a few seconds. Can you imagine spending all those years for those few seconds? But it's worth it. There's something about that prize that's worth it. We're all contending. Some of us, when you're not aware you're contending for a prize, you probably won't contend very well, right? You know, if you didn't know you were in competition for something, chances are you're not really putting much effort into it. But Paul's talking about here, and, and he uses it, I don't know if you guys remember, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, uh, I'm running a race to win. And he talks about it because he's, he's specifically talking about how uh, he had certain rights and he could have taken advantage of them, but he said, I didn't. He said, I, I had certain freedoms in Christ, but I didn't use those freedoms when I was with these people. Why? Because I knew that the gospel would go further. I knew that it would have more of an effect if I laid aside my own freedom, my own rights for a minute, and I just, I, you know, I just said, this is for God, and this is for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to do without this. I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to live this way. And he says, I'm not running the race just to finish the race. I'm running to win. He says, I'm not boxing just to beat the air. He said, I want to hit something. Now, that's a different attitude, isn't it? You know, he... He later on talks about, and we'll read this probably later, but he, he talks about, you know, disciplining yourself for the sake of godliness. And, and the word that he uses there for discipline is often used as for somebody training athletically, you know, training in a gym, you know, getting ready. Well, that's a struggle, but that's a struggle that's worth it, right? That's not a struggle for the sake of struggle. I, I don't know anybody that goes to the gym just so they can feel pain. Those are the kind of people you need to keep a little bit of distance from. <laughs> you know, why do people go to the gym? Is it, is it enjoyable at first? No, most of the time it's not. If it was enjoyable, if it was instantly enjoyable, everyone would do it all the time. But there's a reason people get up way earlier than they need to get up and get to the gym and do things to their body that their body doesn't want to do. Because there's a point to it. There's something they're contending for. Maybe they're contending for being able to fit in their clothes again. Maybe they're contending for something totally different. And here, this is interesting because Epaphras isn't just contending for himself. He's contending for the church. He's struggling for the church. He's fighting for the church. Wow. What a guy. Can you imagine if you went to the gym and you never saw any of the gains, but somebody else just sitting in the office all of a sudden, what in the world? Where did that come from? Nick's working out for me right now. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you know, my belly's going away. Who's, who's running for me right now? I, who ate that salad for me? You know, that would be really cool. We'd pay for that service, right? <laughs> and Epaphras is fighting for somebody. 
You know, a lot of us have the attitude and say, oh, well, I'm just, doing, I'm just doing enough to keep my own head above water. We have that attitude of like, look, <laughs> it's enough of an issue for me to just keep, keep my life and my family's life together. But if you understand that everything we do is sowing and reaping, that, that we're giving, you know, that giving is never just giving when we give away. That's not the end of it. It says, give and it shall be given unto you. That often, I found this, often when we are just overburdened, we feel pressed beyond measure, and we're just thinking, like, I don't know how to get out of this. When you begin to give, to pray, to uh, somehow think beyond yourself and think about somebody else, then you find that some of those things just turn around. As you take care of God's people, God takes care of you. And here Epaphras is fighting for them. He's laboring for them earnestly for you in, in his prayers. I just want to ask you what it looks like to labor earnestly in prayer, to fight in prayer. Because we know this. Jesus said, don't be like the Gentiles who think that they're heard because they use more words. Right? He think, The Gentiles prayed to their pagan gods, and the more they prayed, the more words they used, the more powerful the prayer. And in the case of maybe you think about uh, the prophets of Baal uh, when Elijah is on Mount Carmel. Remember these guys? They're beating their chest. They're ripping their clothes. Somehow the more I suffer, the more you have to listen to me. Well, but does that sound like your God? Jesus told you flat out that's not the way God responds. God, you're not trying to make God feel sorry for you. Oh, my goodness. Did they just cut themselves? Well, now I have to do something. Jesus said, no, it's not about more words. Then he says, don't be like the Pharisees who think because they pray more fancy words. Mm-hmm. You ever notice some people just switch to King James English when they, when they pray? <laughs> they're just like, hey, hey, guys, what's up? You know, what's going on? And then all of a sudden they're praying like, oh, Lord, thou art God above the heavens and the earth. Thou hast created with thine own hand. You know, all of a sudden they switch languages because somehow God appreciates, you know, the old king's English, right? You know, somehow that, that's like a fast pass that gets you ahead of everybody else in line. No, we know that's not true. What else do we know? Well, we know that, that prayer is, the point of prayer is not to change God's mind. Right? That would be a dumb way to pray, wouldn't it? If you're trying to change God's mind... Once again, God being eternal God, knowing the end from the beginning, you don't want to change God's mind. Well, why? Because God is for you, not against you. He, he's, he's planned a future and a hope for you. You change his mind, you have less than what he had for you. That would be a bad move. You don't want to change God's mind. His, his mind is the best. His will is the best. And we, we, work, we think we live in a zero-sum game where what in order for me to have better, you have to have worse. But God's will doesn't work that way. God's will that works better for you also works better for me. His will is perfect. So he doesn't have to take away from you to give to me. So we're not trying to tip the scales. We are trying to actually the opposite. We are praying in his name. We want his mind on the matter. We want to pray what he wants. That's the effect of prayer life. So why are we fighting in prayer? What's the struggle? If the struggle is, number one, the struggle is not to make God feel bad for us. If the struggle is not to change God's mind, 
If the struggle isn't just to show him that we're struggling so he feels like he has to act, then what is the struggle? Where's the fight? Why is there a need for the fight? First and foremost, we have to realize that maybe the fight isn't what you think it is because we have to, whenever you pray, we got to pray in faith. And faith, you know, the Bible talks about faith um, in the sense of, um, you know, what's, what are we having faith in? Faith uh, rests on the settled work that Jesus has done. Faith is about what he's doing, not about what you're doing. So if your fight is saying, I need to carry their burden on my back, you're probably going to lose that fight because there, there's not faith in what God can do. You're putting faith in your prayer and what you can do. That would be, that would be ineffective. Where's the fight? What are we fighting? Well, I believe that this is a constant. This isn't just one night where he's praying. This is something he is continually laboring and striving towards. He's contending for you, which means he doesn't give up easy. Which means he doesn't give up when he, he doesn't get he doesn't get tired of praying for people. I gotta admit, there's times where I feel tired. I don't want to pray again. I, I've got I've got things to do, but I know I need to pray for them. Well, that's part of where that striving comes in. It's you're not striving because the Bible talks about a certain type of striving that's actually anti. It's not productive at all. It's actually counterproductive. There's one scripture where God says, "Cease your striving." And know that I'm God. Stop treading water. You ever see somebody drown? I mean, hopefully you didn't see. Hopefully you didn't see that go all the way. You ever see somebody who's starting to drown? They're not helping themselves. And if you're not a good swimmer and you jump in with them, they'll make you go down with them, right? So God says, so what do you say? Like, I've jumped in and grabbed somebody that was struggling. What do you say? Stop. Stop that. Stop, stop struggling. I'm going to pull you in. Stop struggling. Their first instinct is to grab your head and they're pushing you down. And, you know, hey, stop struggling. This is what God is saying to you. Cease your striving. Cease your flailing. And know that I'm God. Yeah. So that's not the type of fighting that Epaphras is doing. That, that, that type of fighting is saying, I need to do this to make God move. That's not what he's saying. What he's doing, I believe, is I believe he's praying in the spirit. I believe he's praying regularly. I believe he's being alert in his prayer. And he's, he's, he's continually, every day, it doesn't matter whether he feels like it or he doesn't, he says, I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to contend for them. What, what's the goal of my contention? What's the goal of my laboring? It's so that they would stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Now, this word perfect doesn't mean without any flaws. Although, we will be presented without any flaws on that great judgment day because the blood of Jesus has covered us, right? But, but this word perfect actually means finished, complete, like you, you got to the finish line. What he's saying is there's a finish line that God's got for you. And that's not just getting to heaven. There's a lot of potential God's placed in you. And he's given you these, like Jesus said in the parable, he's given you these talents. He says, what will you do with these? 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that there will be a couple of different groups of people. There's going to be people that stand before the Lord, and I'm talking about saved, going to heaven people. There will be people that stand before him, and he goes, well done, you did good. There's a reward. And there will be others that stand before the Lord, and because they didn't really, they, they built with their own materials instead of, instead of God's, and, and, and they didn't build on the foundation of Christ, they built on their own foundation, their stuff just burns up. And he says, they'll suffer loss. 
And he says, they themselves will be saved, but they'll have nothing to show, right? I know some people that just say, well, you know, uh, if you're not bearing tons of fruit, then you're not saved. Well, that, that's not what the Bible tells us. It tells us there's actually going to be some people that, that seem to have squandered what God gave them, but by, by the grace of God, they're still there. It's just there's, they're looking back on their life, and they could have done a lot more. So a lot of people think it's binary. Either you're going to hell and you're miserable, or you're going to heaven and everybody's equal. But the Bible actually says there's rewards. It says there's going to be some people that will suffer loss. And the loss you suffer isn't your life. The loss you suffer is, I, I, I spent my life, and I got nothing to show for it. Well, I as a pastor don't want you to stand on that day and say that. And, and I, it affects me. And I'll tell you why it affects me, because the Bible says, I've got to give an account for you. It says, I have to give an account for your souls. We don't talk about that a lot anymore. And I don't know why. But we probably should talk about it because I'm going to have to deal with it. <laughs> the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it says, it says, you know, it says, submit yourself to these people God put over you because they're going to have to, it says, they watch over your soul and they'll give an account for it one day. And he says, you want them to be able to have that conversation with joy and not with grief, which would be unprofitable for you. Which means if I got to get in front of Jesus as your pastor, I may not always be your pastor. Maybe somebody else takes that. But I like being your pastor. I love this job. And I mean, I have to stand in front of Jesus. He's going to say, you know, this person uh, really had a lot that I put in them. I never really did anything with that. In fact, they kind of went the other way. What happened there? I tried, Jesus. I mean, I tried. And, uh, (laughs) And the Lord may say, yeah, you did all you needed to do. They just close their heart. That's on them. Or he might say, how much time did you, did you ever pray for them? Well, Lord, it's not my business. (laughs) I didn't want to interfere with their life. Now, I'm not talking about interfering with their life. Did you ever notice that things weren't going and you spent some time in prayer? God, I was busy. I mean, we were on mission trips and we were doing things. You know, I'm not going to get away with that. And then here's the thing. He says, if I, have, if I have a hard conversation, it's not profitable for you. That means you're also going to go, ooh, I shouldn't have. That doesn't end well. Well, I don't want you to live in fear of that. I'm living in excitement about that day. That day is going to be a good day. Yeah. Right? Amen? That's the day we're living for. You don't be scared of that day. Be excited about that day. Paul wasn't scared of it. He's, he said, finally, my race is done. You know, an Olympian doesn't say, I dread the day of the race. He doesn't say, I dread the medal ceremony. He's looking for it. She's, she's worked towards that. That's the day. I'm, I've been training all this time for that day. So you need to get out of fear mode and get back into a mode where you believe God. And you're excited about it. And here's what you need to do. We're striving for the goal. We're, we're wanting to win a prize here. And he says that what Epaphras is doing is praying for you regularly, contending for you, that you might stand finished, that you might be at the finish line of what God's put in front of you, that you would complete what he put you on the earth to do, which means it's not automatic. 
If it was automatic, Paul wouldn't have said, I don't, I don't run, I mean, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to finish the race with joy. I want to finish and win the prize. That wouldn't have been relevant. It's not automatic. You've got to choose. I'm going to run, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to keep contending for this. And everything I do is going to be done by the grace of God. That's what Paul said. He said, I work harder than everybody else, but it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me. In fact, we read something similar back in Colossians 1, if you'll remember. What do we read in Colossians chapter 1? I'll read it again for you. He says in verse 28, we proclaim him, that's Christ, admonishing every man and woman and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we might present every person complete in Christ. What is he saying? He says the reason we're doing ministry is so that everybody would, we'd be able to present them complete. We would be able to say we did our job. And then he says this, for this purpose also I labor, there's that word again, striving, listen to this, according to his power. Now that is, that, that, in those few words, that's everything. Because if you're striving according to your power, you will get zip. But if you're striving according to his power, isn't that great? Can you imagine running a race and, and God is the motor in your engine? Can you? Motor in your engine, that doesn't really make sense. <laughs> God is the car in your vehicle? No. Uh, God's the force. God is the driving. He's the horsepower. Can you imagine? He says, I strive according to his power, which mightily works within me. So your job is to agree with God. Your job is to say yes. Your job is to run the race with endurance. Your job is to fix your eyes on him. And your job is to say, Lord, I know that everything good in my life is going to be done through you. So I need you. I'm making a decision. I'm fighting to win. I'm, I'm going to box to be, hit something, not just beat the air. I'm going to run to win. But I, I, I know that it's not by my strength. It's by your power. Mm-hmm. So Paul said, we're doing this by the power of God. And he says, Epaphras is doing the same thing. He's laboring earnestly for you. So listen, you've got a, you've got a prize to contend for, and it's worth contending for. And it's not just about the rewards. You know, I know the Bible says that if you want to please God, you have to believe that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So it's not wrong to think about the reward. Paul talked about it a lot, but Paul also said things like, the love of Christ controls me. What really drives us is having the same heart that he had. The reason I want to stand at the finish line and say, I finished, I did what I was called to do, is because lives are on the line. Right? At the end of the day, the gift that God put inside of you, the things that God's placed inside of you, aren't just for self-gratification. They're for other people. Like, there's a world out there. That's the reason God left you here. There's a reason that God put you here. It's because the world needs you. God needs you. So as a pastor, there's a scripture even in the Old Testament that says, God help me if I don't pray for you. That's not just the pastor. Epaphras was not a pastor. He was one of their own. It's just another guy as part of their church that took it upon himself to pray other people through their obstacles, pray them through the race. Pray that they'd finish what they were called to do. 
pray that they would stand at the other side saying, you know what, I went through some stuff, but I came out. It's the same heart that Jesus had. It's that heart because Jesus is our intercessor, isn't he? He's making intercession for us. He's standing between us and God. He's fighting for you. Jesus, that same heart that said, Peter, I know you're going to fall, but I will pray for you. I'm praying for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. Listen, if Jesus could pray that Peter's faith wouldn't fail, can we not pray that for one another? Can we notice when someone is starting to lag and we say, I'm going to fight for them right now because they need a champion. They need someone who's going to fight when they feel like their hands are too heavy to lift. I'm going to lift their hands up. I'm going to pray in the spirit. I'm going to strive for them according to the power of God, which mightily works within me. I'm going to pray a prayer that I could never have prayed on my own. And it's worth it. You know, the thing about that is you help somebody move, they know you helped them move. And they thank you for it. They, They saw you lifting boxes. They saw you struggling with the piano. Hey, thanks for coming. Sometimes when you're praying for people, you'll never get that thank you. Even if you tell them I'm praying for you, a lot of people just go, ah, thanks. They don't know. Why? Because you don't know the darkest timeline. (laughs) You don't know the worst possible scenario. You don't know what that prayer got you through, right? And most of the time, when we most need prayers, when we're least aware of what's going on. So, you know, that person may never come to you and go, man, I knew you were praying for me. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But ultimately, they're not the rewarder. God is. God's the rewarder, right? He's the rewarder. Now, in this case, Epaphras gets a shout-out that we're still reading about 2,000 years later. So, good gig for him. But for you, you may not be so blessed. Nobody may ever know, and yet it'll be worth it. If love drives us, we're not doing that for the plaudits. We're not doing it for the thank you. If love drives us, we're doing it because that's God's will. Let me ask you something. Once again, going back to the fact that we're not trying to change God's mind. When Jesus said, I'm praying for you, Peter, he said, the reason you won't fall, Peter, is because I'm praying for you. So, number one, don't be fooled into thinking that your prayers don't change a thing that prayers are merely a religious exercise, just a ritual. Jesus' prayers were what stood between Peter coming back and leading the church on that day of Pentecost or Peter maybe doing a Judas and taking his own life. Jesus' prayers are what turned his life around. What do you think that prayer looked like? Do you think Jesus is arguing with the Father? You think Jesus is saying, hey, I know Peter messed up big time, but could, could you, you know, Lord, Father, help him? And, and can you imagine God's like, no, he's a snitch, you know? He's, he's, he's a wimp. He's a coward. Like, uh, get yourself, you know, ditch the zero. Get a hero, you know? No, Jesus, he, but Father, he's my buddy. We, we came up together. I really like him. We go fishing. And, and I, it's hard to train new people. So can you just let Peter be the guy? No, that's not the conversation. Jesus prayed out the will of the Father. Then some people say, well then why did he need to pray? If it was God's will, it was going to happen. Apparently, for God's will to be done, Jesus had to pray it. So God's will for you is that you finish. 
and you finish strong, and you, and you do all that he's called you to do, but that's not automatic. You've got a part to play in that. And here's the other fun part. The people around you have a part to play in that. Should they choose to accept the mission? Nobody's making you pray for other people. Nobody's making you give them a text saying, I'm fighting for you. But it is the heart of God. And the closer we get to him, the more that is on our heart. And in a cyclical way, the more we do that, the closer we come to his heart. I want to read you something that Paul said to Timothy. And he says it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says uh, in verse 7, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Apologies to old women. Basically, he's using something that was colloquial in their time. It's basically, this is actually where we get the phrase old wives' tales. Um, so, listen. This says old women, but you know the craziest, dumbest conspiracy theories I've ever heard have come from old men. So, you know, <laughs> it's probably not a gender thing. <laughs> or an age thing, for that matter. It's, he's just using a cultural touch point for them. So, have nothing to do with that stuff. On the other hand, you have different fingers. That's a joke. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. Once again, that word discipline is the word gymnazo. I butchered the pronunciation, but it's the word we get gymnasium from. The Greek says I'm good. Praise the Lord. Let's go home. Well, this is fresh. So where do we get gymnasium from? Discipline. Train yourself. See, when we hear the word discipline, we think punishment. But the scripture, when, it, when God uses the word discipline, he's not talking about punishment. The root word of discipline is what? Disciple. disciple. Was it punishment to be Jesus' disciple? No, it was the highest honor, right? And the Bible says that he disciplines those that he loves. That proves you're a legitimate kid. So this is about training, right? So he's basically saying train yourself for the purpose of godliness, for bodily, bodily discipline or bodily training is only of little profit. Now, that's one way to translate this uh, phrase. What I think is probably a better way to translate it, it shows up in some different translations, where it says, uh, rather than just saying it's only of little profit, that's true, but it can also be translated, it's only profitable for a little while. Now, the reason I think that's an accurate translation is because of what he says later. Think about it. If you work out and you eat right, that will profit you for a while. Now, what happens if you start eating cheeseburgers again and you stop working out? That was profitable, but it wasn't eternally profitable. And eventually, your body will die. And it doesn't matter how healthy you kept it, it it's not built to last forever. But he says, what does he say here? But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So when you train for godliness, when you train your body, he doesn't say that's bad. He just says, know this, it's temporary. It has a little profit. 
But when you train yourself for godliness, you are investing in this life and the one to come. You are doing eternal work. Those gains don't go away. That's forever, right? So he says this, and watch what he says in verse 9. He says, It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this that we labor and strive. There's those words again. That we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. The word labor means to toil, to do something that's, it's wearisome work, but it's worth it. The word strive is the same word we talked about before. It's, it's that uh, contending for a prize, fighting for something. You get it? It's worth fighting for. So listen, we got to contend for the prize. We don't do it in our strength, we do it in God's strength. Well, what's the difference? How do I know if I'm doing it in God's strength? How do I know if I'm doing it? This is a good question, isn't it? That's a question I've asked. Because when a preacher says, don't do it in your strength, do it in God's strength, you go, fine, you say that all the time, but what's the difference? Right? Well, first and foremost, I think you should ask, God, I need you. Have the humility, right? Because humility receives grace. Pride receives opposition from God. So if I want help from God, I need to be humble and say, I can't do this by myself. I can't do it. I, I can't do this. I need you. That's the number one thing. Have you asked? Or who are you depending on? Number two, and I, this comes up a lot, how, how am I striving? Right? Am I thinking that, that God's going to hear me because I'm, I'm making myself more miserable? Or am I thinking God's going to hear me because I'm so exhausted every day? Am I thinking God's going to hear me because I've neglected my family so I could pray? That's not what he asked of you. You're striving according to the flesh. So how do I strive according to his power? I think you got to listen. I think you got to trust. I think you got to let his word uh, uh, marinate in you so that, that, that it's coming up. I think you got to pray according to his spirit. I think you've got to pray and then listen and pray and then listen. I think you've got to find his rhythm. I think you've got to say, God, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to tell me how. And in all things, I'm trusting you. So you need to fight for the prize. You need to say, this is worth some prayer time. This is worth maybe me saying, I I, I don't need food today. I'm going to spend my time seeking the Lord. Maybe this is worth me saying, "I, I have a choice. I can turn on Netflix or I can open my Bible. Because I can turn on Netflix, I'm still going to heaven. But there's things God has for me and for the people around me that I, I need to get inside of me. I need, to, I need to hear his heart. I need to get this in. There are gifts in me. There are things that God placed in me. And there's talents that he's given me that unless I invest them, if I just bury them in the ground, it's not going to be a good conversation. But if I invest them in his kingdom and in his people, it's going to come back as a reward. So that's what I contend for. But now, what's the point of what we've read tonight? We all need a champion at some point in our life. We need someone fighting for us. We need someone contending for us. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know that when you needed it most, somebody's battling for you in prayer?
fighting for you. It doesn't mean, if, if we think the only time we fight for each other in prayer is when there's a catastrophe, I think we'll miss out on some stuff. You know, Epaphras didn't seem to be um, ER praying, if I can use that term. Right? He wasn't praying because they were just a disaster. They seem to be doing all right. He's contending for them. No, and this is the thing, and I, I know I, I didn't mean to get on this, but maybe I should, maybe I should. Jesus was not led around by the needs. He was led around by the will of God. Amen. He responded to needs, but he didn't just go from need to need. If we're only led by needs, if we're only led by evil happening to people, that's the only time we shut up. If the only thing we're doing is putting out fires that the devil set, then the devil is our boss. Yeah. He can control where you go because he'll just set a fire there and you'll go there. We need to hear from God. So if the only people you ever pray for are the people that just seem to be falling apart at the seams, I get we should pray for them. But I think we could go further than that. And we could pray for people that seem to be doing all right. But you're, you're saying, I want them to finish their course well. I, I recognize that there's people that their life is going pretty well. They're, they're loving Jesus. They're loving people. Their family seems to be doing fine. But there's something else God has for them. There's further. There's more. And in order for them to get through that barrier, to break that glass ceiling, somebody's got to come alongside and pray them through it. Maybe even so that they could see that there's more. Right? We need that. So I just want to bring you back to that heart that Epaphras had. He is laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you would be perfect, finished, complete, standing fully assured in the will of God. Now, if Epaphras had to pray for that, I think that that's something we need people praying for us about. And I want to ask you today, and I don't care where you think you are in the level of spiritual maturity, whether you think I'm a baby at this stuff or whether you see yourself as a grandparent in the faith, will you seek the Lord and make it part of your prayer life to say, God, who am I championing, championing today? Who am I fighting for today? Who am I, who am I contending for? And maybe it's not just individually. I think in this case, Epaphras was praying for a church. So you know what? You don't, need, you don't always need to pick somebody out. What if you prayed for this church or another church for that matter? But, but you pray for your church. You pray for, your, for the people around you. And you say, I'm going to fight for them, that they would finish what they've been called to do, that they would complete what God gave them, that they would have that bravery to invest and take risks and, and know that God's with them, oh, that they would, they would uh, begin to uh, see and unwrap the gifts that God put in them that they don't even know were there. I'm going to pray them through it. and It's real tempting when you start praying that way to start praying your opinion for them. Try not to do that. Right? That's ineffective. That's striving according to your strength. Here's what you want. God, I want your will done in their life. God, I don't know exactly what you got for them, but I know it's good. And I'm going to pray in the Spirit a bit because the Spirit prays out the perfect will of God. I'm going to, I'm going to listen a little bit because I realize that if I do all the talking, um, I probably won't get to where I need to go. So, Lord, I'm going to listen. What should I be praying about right now? I open my Bible. Give me, give, me, give me the word to pray out. All right. Maybe you're not doing the Bible roulette. <laughs> May his children be orphans. 
May his wife be a widow. Another verse, God. Now, may, don't do that. Don't do that. Let God, you know, sort it out by his spirit. And if you're full of the word, he'll bring the stuff up at the right time. You know what I'm saying? The Jesus said the Holy Spirit brings all things to your remembrance. He can't bring something to your remembrance if you never bothered to learn it to start with. Right? So fill yourself with the word of God. It'll come up at the right times. Amen? And then just pray it out. We need, it. We need, we need someone. You know, listen, Jesus is an intercessor. And he's our example. And he's our high priest. And so let me tell you something. All you got to do is let Jesus work through you and have the heart of Jesus. If you have the heart of Jesus, and we're all meant to have the heart of Jesus, you'll be an intercessor as well. You know, we often say, Let, let's give that to the intercessors, and that's, once again, we've talked about that a lot through Colossians. We have this group of people, and they pray about stuff. Thank God for these people, but we should all be intercessors. Right. Amen? Right. Pick it up and say, hey, and if you have that thought, well, I can't fight for someone else. I'm barely fighting for myself. Sow some seed. Pray for someone else. You'll be amazed at how your issues don't seem as big. Mm -hmm. You begin to pray for someone else. You know, a lot of our issues come from just being entirely too self-focused. Mm. If you stare at yourself long enough, you will find 500 things wrong with yourself. <laughs> right? So part of your problem is you're, just look, you're thinking about yourself all the time. Believe me, start thinking about other people and you'll be amazed at how your issues don't seem so big. And sometimes it's maybe the real issues, but God is handling them. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and I'll, I'll handle the other stuff. Amen? Stand up with me. We're going to pray.